The Ebb and Flow of Samalo. We are Malouan first, said the people of Samalo. Breton next. French, if there's anything left over. Quote by Anthony Doer. If you've ever roamed the cobblestone streets of Samalo's old town, you'll understand why, in this place, I feel transported back in time. It's not simply the architecture or colorful history of the seafaring town. It's also the sense of time preserved in a unique way. What's even more fascinating is that the city was almost entirely restored after its near total destruction in World War II. The rampart survived, despite the fact that the bombings by both German and Allied troops destroyed 80% of the Intramuros, or walled city. The current ramparts date to the 1600s, though the originals were constructed in the 12th century. The American army, mistakenly believing thousands of Nazis to be hiding within the town, set fire and explosive bombs to the ancient buildings, leveling them to the ground. Fleeing the July heat in Paris, I hop on the train and arrive mid-morning. As I step through the fortified gates, I clutch my iPad loaded with a themed walk from Anthony Doerr's 2014 novel, All the Light We Cannot See. The walk recreates Saint-Malo under Nazi occupation and the world of Marie-Laure, the young blind heroine of the story. While the book is a work of fiction, it's set against the backdrop of real events. Some of the places in the book exist and some were imagined by the author. So that's where I begin, attempting to retrace the steps of Marie-Laure. I cross the narrow streets in search of Four Rue Vauberel, the home of Marie-Laure and her uncle Etienne. While the street name and number exist, the actual house only lived in the imagination of the author. But the buildings there, while rebuilt after the war, at least give an idea of what was in the writer's mind. It's a good starting point, and finding it helps give me my bearings, leading me towards the beach. Next, I take the stairs up to the ramparts and follow the two-kilometer stroll in the bracing wind, making my way to the Molle des Noirs Pier and Lighthouse. The original lighthouse station dates to 1838, but the current one was rebuilt in 1949. Looking out over France's Emerald Coast and back at the city jutting out of the coastline, I spot the spire of St. Vincent's Cathedral. As seagulls cluster overhead, I imagine what it might have looked like in the 17th and 18th centuries. It was the time of the corsairs, privateers and pirates in the service of the French king. While the area was first inhabited in the first century BC by Celtic tribes, the city was founded by a Welsh monk named McClue, himself a follower of St. Brendan the Navigator of Ireland. One cannot help but be struck by the magnitude of the waves and the wind here in Brittany. The force of the tidal ranges creates two small islands, Petit Bay and Grand Bay, completely separated from the town by water at high tide. I imagine Marie-Laure on the beach with the character of Madame Manek 
and I climbed the somewhat treacherous steps around Grand Bay, making my way to the gravesite of 18th century romantic French writer and politician, François René de Chateaubriand. As I attempt to recall something of him from a college French course, a dignified elderly woman approaches me, looking lost. I can't begin to imagine how she made it to the top without any assistance. She asks me if I know of an easier way down. Being a visitor there myself, I don't, but her husband says they'll take it slowly. I meet them again later, safe and sound at the entrance to the city. The dapper French couple, who's been married for over 60 years, is something out of a story themselves. The weather in Brittany changes without warning, so while the sun is out, I take advantage of its warmth, removing my sandals as I walk along Sion Beach. It's an expansive stretch of sand, surprisingly empty, except for a few lone beachcombers like me and a group of kite surfers. The national fort is there, facing the sea. I didn't visit due to COVID, but it was constructed under Louis XIV, according to plans designed by famed military engineer Vauban. Its bastion was a trademark of Vauban's and designed to protect the city of Saint-Malo from attacks by the English and Dutch. In the worlds of Mary Law, in Dower's book, we learn that French resistance members were detained and imprisoned at the fort by the Germans. Standing on the beach and looking towards the fort, I can also envision pirates landing or battles taking place. But in looking to the right, all I see are the colorful kites dotting the clear blue sky. Up and down the beach, I spot rows of oak breakwaters called brise-lames in French. Along with the digue or embankment, they protect the beach and town from erosion and some of the most powerful tides in Europe. The waters rise and fall as much as 13 meters or 43 feet. The weather-beaten breakwaters have come to form the landscape of Saint-Malo. As of this September, 700 of the 3,000 existing breakwaters are being replaced. At seven meters in length, the massive wooden breakwaters made from the trunks of oak trees were first installed at the end of the 17th century, and that number has increased over the years as needed. Each tree trunk is staggered and buried two and a half meters below the sand. Traditionally, a solid breakwater was judged by the number of knots in the bark. Many of the existing breakwaters are more than 200 years old and definitely deserve their retirement. The Brise Lam bring me back to thoughts of the young Marie-Laure in Dower's text. I imagine her feeling the knots in the wood moving from one to the next, the sand between her toes, raindrops glistening on her face as she listens to the seagulls overhead and the waves crashing against the shore for the very first time. She plays in the tide pools, collects shells, pebbles, and sea glass. Born in Paris, it must have been an amazing feeling when she initially stepped onto the beach with Madame Manek, her uncle Etienne's elderly housekeeper. Madame Manek is a kind and wonderful cook and companion, but she's also feisty and smart. A 76-year-old who uses the, quote, invisibility of being an old woman and... I don't want to give away any spoilers to anyone who hasn't read the book yet, 
But let's just say that Madame Manek is also one of my favorite characters in the book for a reason. I examine the Brise Lame as I stroll along the beach, taking in the details of how they're arranged, some groupings resembling the hull of a boat. I run my hand along the knots that span the length of the wood. I recall that Chateaubriand was a native of Saint-Malo. Born in 1768, he wrote about the breakwaters in his memoir, Les Mémoires d'Outre-Tombe. He recounts his childhood in early 19th century Saint-Malo and describes running on the beach amongst the breakwaters and jumping into the waves. His love of his hometown is evident in the fact that his only request on his deathbed was that he be buried there in view of the sea. Each year his descendants gather at his grave on the island of Grand Bay to commemorate his life and work. Leaving the beach momentarily, I decide it's time to forage for food. It's late for lunch, almost 2 p.m., and this being France, it's not easy to find a restaurant still serving food at this hour. I ascend the ramp to the embankment and eventually stumble upon an open crêperie. After enjoying a hearty galette made with buckwheat flour and filled with ham and cheese and a bowl of local cider, I head back out into the sunshine. I'm having trouble following the schema of the walking tour on my iPad. It's only available in French at the moment and lacking in much detail. I decide to find out if Madame Rouel's boulangerie exists. 22 paces down the Rue Vauberel to the Rue d'Estrées, then right for 16 storm drains, left on the Rue Robert-Surcuf, nine more storm drains to the bakery. Quote, end quote. That's the route that Marie-Laure took to Madame Rouel's bakery. The author, Anthony Dor, is especially adept at description, pulling the reader into the story, mapping out Marie-Laure's world as she experiences it, a labyrinth of small cobblestone streets and steep stairways. I decide to visit the Intramuros or walled old town a bit more. I walk past the Corn Exchange, a funky greenhouse type of building, that houses the local farmer's market on a bi-weekly basis. I head to the reconstructed St. Vincent's Cathedral, built in Romanesque and Gothic styles. It's steeple watching over the old town. The famed steeple toppled over and the cathedral suffered massive damage in World War II. It took 28 years to restore, but some elements of its original 12th century structure remain. Jacques Cartier, a native of Saint-Malo, and the explorer who claimed Quebec for the French, is buried within its walls. There are four bells in the tower, dating from 1894, and they're currently receiving a well-needed restoration. I come to a square and what was once an Irish boutique. I'm saddened to see it's recently had to close its doors permanently. I search for Madame Rouel's boulangerie mentioned in the text on Rue Surcouf. It isn't there. But there's a modern bakery around the corner on Rue Dinan. I don't go in. Instead, I decide to roam a bit further and take a Queen Amman to bring back to the beach with me. If you've never tried a Queen Amman, it's an amazing but very high calorie treat. Its name comes from the Breton words for cake and butter. Imagine a sweeter, denser, 
caramelized version of a croissant, and you're almost there. I cross the town again, aware that time is short before I need to catch my train home. So I decide to spend the rest of my time on the beach. I head back down to the Bon Secours beach to watch the kids jumping and diving into the natural seawater pool. Built in 1936, the Art Deco pool includes a two-level diving board, often mossy from the effects of the sea. Walls on the three sides hold the water from the high tides, and each tide cycle refreshes the water. It's become a symbol of Saint-Malo, and despite the chilly water temperatures, not to mention COVID, the pool and the beach were full by the afternoon. Groups of teens squealed with joy as they jumped into the 16-degree water. That's 61 Fahrenheit. I lounged on the sand, basking in the sun that never feels too hot there due to the breeze. I was wearing my mask, but the splendid view and the happy children playing by the water's edge made me forget for a moment that we were still in the middle of a pandemic. One of the aspects of Samalo that I admire is the spirit of the people to rebuild their town. Of the 862 buildings that existed pre-World War II, 683 were destroyed or severely damaged. It took 12 years to rebuild, utilizing a million tons of stone and rubble. While there were some modifications, most of it was rebuilt to its former glory. As I make my way back to the train station at the outskirts of town, I leave behind Marie-Laure, the ramparts, and the beautiful Emerald Coast to return to the complex and challenging time we find ourselves in. But for one day at least, I stepped back in time, immersing myself in Saint-Malo, its quaint streets and sandy beaches, but also in the historical fiction of Anthony Doerr, inspired by this fascinating town with its many legends, panoramic views, and preserved history.